This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the value of identifying socioeconomic factors in improving care delivery. With me to discuss the topic is the SCAN Foundation's Gretchen Alkema. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you. Thank you for your time. As listeners may recall, Dr. Alkema was interviewed last August about the importance of recognizing functional status in treating moreover Medicare patients. Gretchen's bio is again posted with this podcast. On background, William Osler, considered the founder of modern medicine, wrote, the good physician treats the disease, the great physician treats the patient who has the disease. I note Osler's comment, since oddly it's only recently the healthcare delivery industry has started to recognize the importance of patients, or excuse me, a person's non-medical factors such as behavioral lifestyle, economic and education, and social networks. To further this point, it was just three months ago the National Quality Forum, a congressional-funded not-for-profit that develops national health care quality measures, concluded it is appropriate that performance assessment or quality measures be adjusted for socioeconomic or demographic factors. With me to discuss how and why these non-medical characteristics can be used to both better predict care needs and better treat individuals, moreover those that are at high risk, particularly in improving their care coordination, and at what cost savings is, again, Gretchen Alkema. So with that, Gretchen, let me start by asking an interpretive question. Why is it that the healthcare industry has been so slow to recognize medical factors, particularly since its well-recognized behavior is actually more determinant of health status than is medical care? Thank you, David, for having me here today. I would say that um, at the individual level, individual providers are very savvy to the non-medical factors of their the population of, of people that they serve. However, health systems operate off of, uh, you know, large-scale you know, delivery system models, and the information that is easily accessible inside of their system are things related to more administrative data and, and claims data, so things associated with insurance billing, um, information that's needed for those financial transactions, which generally do not relate to the more non-medical clinical factors. Um, and up until now, we have not, uh, as a country, you know, invested broadly in electronic technology to incorporate uh, the, the clinical notes and, and structure that information in a way for it to be maximally useful. I think there's great promise for that in the future, um, which has up for the more enlightened plans and, and health systems to, to incorporate that information going forward. So capture it more formally. Capture it more formally in a, in a more structured and useful way and then porting that information into predictive modeling types of analytics that can help stratify populations to understand both the medical and non-medical needs and how both of those elements are driving what at least we know of today related to high-cost healthcare utilization, and then be able to target those individuals for interventions in the future. So do it in a more planned manner. I think your PCP, your primary care physician who's had a patient for years, certainly probably well understands their social circumstances. 
but from a systems perspective or an industry's perspective, we're lagging. Well, we have a lot of room to grow. <laughs> okay, thank you. During our conversation last year, we discussed the correlation between reduced functional status and higher health care costs. What other non-medical factors correlate with higher health care needs? Sure. Um, things just about a person's basic living situation. Are they living alone? Um, have they experienced a fall in the last month, the last three months, the last six months? Um, are they living in a residential care facility where they're going, where they're getting their care supported, even, even at very modest level? Those are indicators that are starting to tell you that things are changing in a person's uh, total composite of, of their health. Not necessarily their medical picture, but their health picture uh, that is uh, that that are available for healthcare delivery systems to incorporate in thinking about different kinds of care interventions. Um, one question that um, has historically been highly predictive of future healthcare states is a person's understanding of their self-rated health today. How do I feel today about my health? Um, it has great impact on what people's healthcare needs are and, and utilization. In the so future. their self-assessment. Exactly. It's their perception of their world. I mean, people live inside their own bodies. They know how they're feeling and how they're doing. And so if you incorporate that information with functional status, their living situation, their access to supportive services or caregiver support, in addition to how many medical conditions they have, the complexity of those medical conditions, and how all these features interact, you're getting a really robust understanding of that person. Um, what's important, though, is to not stop there. It's about then connecting that person with an appropriate set of supports, particularly a care coordination intervention that can really help somebody map out a better trajectory for their needs in the future. So it's seeing all their all the pieces of their puzzle. Absolutely. It's really very much what that the quote was that you started with, of saying, let's see the whole person in context with their health picture, their needs, values, and preferences, the support that lives around them, and then drive towards a package of, of supports. Um, and sometimes it's just a little bit of support. Sometimes it really is about, you know, somebody helping them get to the doctor or setting up the, the automatic pharmacy refills or, um, you know, getting home delivered meals in a couple times a week so there's something in the freezer if a person's not feeling well. It doesn't always have to be, you know, the full boat of care. Um, it's about targeted needs based on, on what's happening in that individual person's life. At a certain point in time. At a certain point in time. One way to get there are HRAs, mm -hmm. and can you tell me about who uses them, particularly within the context of Medicare Advantage? Sure. So uh, the health risk assessment um, we see is actually a powerful tool. Um, it can certainly be a screening tool of really starting to identify your population. Again, uh, you know, self-report, right? So within the context of, of people's willingness to, to complete that form and um, the uh, kind of the, the total expression of their knowledge of their health system and how open they're wanting to be, um, the reality is, is it's a hugely valuable set of information with questions that start to get to function and start to get to living status um, that are, are beyond, you know, just the kind of medically, clinically related factors or something, um, you know, as, as specific as only as smoking, you start to get into the, the totality of a people's, uh, a person's lifestyle um, scenario. You can get a lot of information about what's going on with them and then incorporate that with their clinical picture to, to take that next step towards an appropriate care coordination intervention. And so... Medicare Advantage programs, amongst others, use these HRAs to inform their care plan for the person. Yep. What services can Medicare Advantage plans uh, use with these? 
Well, it's uh, interesting. Knowledge. It's a, an, a Medicare Advantage, a special needs plan um, who has this knowledge, who utilizes it to basically do a risk stratification profile of their population um, and then connecting with that with that individual personally to set up a care plan. Um, you know, various kinds of supplemental benefits that MA plans are able to provide today are things like an enhanced disease management approach, in-home safety assessments, which can look for fall risks um, and, and mitigate those with that person's support, um, home-delivered meals for a short period of time, telemonitoring technology, you know, implementing that in the home, transportation support, a lot of kinds of things that can really help prevent a future high-cost health event and helps people feel like they're more in control of their living environment and working in partnership with their health plan and providers. So the HRA, amongst other uh, means, are used to create some predictiveness relative to who might be high-risk users or at-risk for more intensive healthcare services? I'd say that they can be. They can be leveraged for that type of um, utility. Uh, in terms of how the breadth of Medicare Advantage plans are using the information uh, from HRAs right now isn't fully known. And as we had uh, the Avalier team talk with a number of different vendors who engage the, uh, the development and, and the analytics behind the HRA, um, many of them spoke to the, the potentiality of using that HRA information that comes out of that to do that first level screening and targeting and creating a, basically a profile of individuals that then their provider, um, a care manager, or maybe a nurse or a social worker or some other person inside of that health system can then explore a little bit deeper to see is there a way to create a more holistic intervention for that person. But um, I think that, you know, given right now, HRAs are required required by CMS for, for health plans to do. They have pretty loose guidelines upon what can be inside that HRA, and it, it has great potentiality to be used for a deeper purpose. Okay, thank you. The um, reality within the Medicare Advantage uh, plan is, again, they receive a capitated rate, so they have some discretion relative to how they use that reimbursement. However, Medicare more broadly is moving towards more fee for value or payment for uh, measured outcomes. So are you optimistic that uh, Medicare Beyond or even the Medicare program as well beyond uh, the Medicare Advantage program per se will move in this direction? Health systems, health plans that uh, appreciate that population aging is a reality that inside their population pool today are individuals who have substantial chronic health conditions and functional limitations associated with that. Um, it, people who get that that is already present in their world uh, will take that next step to getting a better understanding of both the medical and the non-medical factors that are driving towards care outcomes and move in the direction of putting targeted care coordination programs in place. Um, so, again, great potentiality both in the Medicare Advantage, the special needs plans universe, um, and probably more particularly in the accountable care organization world or other areas like uh, Medi-Cal, uh, Medi uh, sorry, I'm from California, <laughs> Medicaid-oriented health homes, um, and certainly the, the duals demonstration pilots that are happening. The idea that you assess a population, stratify that based on need, and then target appropriate care coordination interventions to create that package of care, that's the wave of the future in order to get that value. 
It's not just about changing the kind of the outsides of the delivery system. It's about changing the innards and the processes of understanding who you're serving and how to serve them better. And beyond just better care, this presents opportunities for more cost efficiency, of course. Well, I think that it does. And, you know, those two are, I believe, are really linked for this population, helping people get the right care at the right time based on their needs, values, and preferences, so that it's not just about kind of churning people through medical diagnostics that they don't need and don't want, um, through procedures that they don't need and they don't want. We have to have those conversations with people about what really is their health trajectory and how to get them connected with the appropriate set. But in order to do that, you need to know a little bit more about them than what's ever going to be available inside administrative data. So it takes that step forward, but we really believe at the foundation that that step forward is incredibly valuable, both for improving care at the person level and improving value in total at the system level. So we do have a few minutes left, and although we could spend many minutes on this subtopic, let me just ask you about all this comes down sooner or later to quality measures. Mm -hmm. How do you create quality measures such that these providers are doing the appropriate thing and how do those quality measures then uh, met such that we can ensure that that's what's happening? So in the field of quality measures as it relates to this work, how evolved are they? How much further do they need to be involved? Can you identify, say, some quality measures that are actually very useful? I would think there are several measures relative to falls or preventing falls. So how would you respond to that? quality measure aspect to all this? Sure. So, you know, there's certainly disease-specific quality measures in terms of getting the right care at the right time for any particular medical So hemoglobin condition. A1C for a diabetic? Sure. Or, right. You know, aspirin at the it's hospital right. after you've had the heart attack. Right. I mean, really specific pathways based on conditions. There is a beginning of, of quality measures that relate to more specific functionally related processes like falls. I'm asking, you know, ensuring that people don't have a fall, that, that if they have a complex medication regimen, that um, in, in that medication regimen, there is an increased tendency for falls because of those medications, looking at how to mitigate that. So again, really specific pathways um, based on specific criteria. Where we're looking at, um, in terms of some of the work that we're doing in partnership with um, with the National Committee of Quality Assurance and others, and uh, some of that's in partnership with the John A. Hartford Foundation, is kind of taking a step back and saying, what should people's experience be inside of these integrated systems of care, particularly for some of the most vulnerable individuals we serve in our healthcare delivery system? Um, that would be people who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, who have chronic health conditions and functional limitations. So the kind of the total package of vulnerability that, that is present for them. We're looking at things that are talking more about a person's confidence in being able to get their care delivery needs met regardless of what their clinical profile is about. Per se. Per se, because it's, it, you know, let's say I'm, you know, an, an 85 plus individual that's got three substantial chronic conditions. I'm having difficulty walking. I'm having difficulty dressing. Um, I've got a caregiver that's coming into my home. But what I need is specific to my picture. Do I need a grab bar? Do I need home delivered meals? Maybe you look very similar on paper clinically with those three chronic conditions and some functional impairment, but you have different supports in your life. So what you really need is, is caregiver support for, um, you know, someone in your family who's taking care of you and you need transportation. So 
each individualized picture is going to be just that, individualized. And what's most important is, do I feel confident that my needs are getting met, that I know who to call if I'm having difficulty getting my needs met? And frankly, is that health system that is responsible for the total package and the total quality condition, you know, of my care, are, are they responsive to me in a way that helps me get my needs met? Can they engage with me based on my particular needs? That's what matters, not did you or I get a grab bar? Because maybe I don't need a grab bar. Maybe I live in an assisted living community that already has the grab bar. And that's not, transferring isn't particularly my issue. Who, who knows? Because everybody's picture is so individualized. But it's more of, can I get my needs met? And that's a radically different way of thinking about quality, as opposed to the transactional elements of quality that we think about today. It's much more experiential. What's my experience in getting my needs met by this health system? So these would be measures where the patient or the person self-assesses based on some more generic relative to comprehensive, timeliness, uh, accessible, those attributes. Absolutely, because let's take what happens when those things don't occur. I'm not feeling confident that I'm able to manage my care. I'm not feeling confident that there's somebody who I can call at the health system who can help me um, address what that care needs, that care need. I don't even know who to call. Or if I did pick up the phone and dial a particular number, I'm not confident that they can help me get these needs met. What's my one recourse? Call in 911 mm -hmm. and finding my way in the emergency room. That doesn't necessarily, in the event that I don't have an emergent need and that there's another way to get my need met that hasn't served me, because now I've spent six hours in the emergency room, which has completely exhausted me and worn me out. I've been run through a whole number of tests, which may or may not be appropriate at that moment. And, um, you know, it's, that's been a scenario where it's been challenging and difficult for me. My, my, my daughter now gets the phone call that says, you know, mom's in the emergency room and all the uproar that's created there, mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, it has an, a huge impact on the health system. What if my need was had was something that could be managed? What if, um, you know, what if it's about that I notice that I'm having even more difficulty walking because my legs have swollen up? And maybe that's just a, a medication adjustment that could be addressed without mm -hmm. me going to the hospital. So there are lots of ways to think about what happens when my confidence goes down as a person and I'm trying to engage a health system to address that? We, I think we can do better. Okay. We have time for just one uh, wrap-up question. So let me ask, you did mention your work uh, with partners on measurement, but where are you going more generally or where else are you going with this work through Avalier's research or just otherwise in your position scan? Sure. I think, you know, the, the foundation is working off of a couple of core goals that we're trying to uh, kind of move the needle uh, in, a, in a positive direction for better quality care at, at, a, at a good price for individuals who have really complex needs and their family members. Um, and we're looking at that both in terms of better integrating the care delivery and financing for people who are duly eligible, who have access to Medicare and Medicaid, and how do we bring the, the payers and the delivery systems in a way that are most responsive to people's needs. Um, we're also looking at uh, individuals who only have access to Medicare, but may, from a clinical and functional perspective, look very much like a duly eligible population. 
complex needs, functional challenges, and so looking at how do we better utilize the, the system that's available in Medicare, particularly through a care coordination type of intervention that brings all the pieces together and helps people utilize their personal and their family resources in the most effective way uh, to, again, ensure that they get the kind of health care and delivery that they need so that they can live as independently as possible. So these are the two worlds which I think that this Avalier paper really feeds into uh, most directly. Um, just as, a, as an aside, the third goal we're working on is looking towards the future and addressing um, how do we improve uh, the, the planning for working families today to address their long-term care financing needs and doing a whole lot of policy modeling work around that. But that's for another day, another okay. conversation. Well, Gretchen, you're exactly right because we are sadly at our time boundary. So again, thank you for your time to talk and update us on your work. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.